Well, it's been a while since we've been in the book of Genesis, but let's turn once again to Genesis chapter 28. In our last lesson, we began to consider this 28th chapter uh, of Genesis, actually verses 10 through 22. We won't go back and and read this passage, at least not all of it, Uh, but this was Jacob's experience when he saw the, the ladder coming down from heaven, and he stood in awe of the very presence of God, and we considered most of what I would like to consider in this passage, except for in verse 22. Let's consider one more thought before we leave this passage in Genesis chapter 28 and verse 22. After the vision that that, uh, Jacob had, he says, And this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house, and of all that you give me I will surely give a tenth to you. And so here we see that the tithe was something that was practiced before the law was given. And this was an expression of, on Jacob's part of his acknowledgement of the blessing of God. This, his giving a tenth to God was not to buy God's blessing because already previously in that passage, God had already promised to uh, bless Jacob. And that was based on the promise of grace that he made to Abraham. And that's now been passed down to Isaac and now to Jacob. And so the, the blessing was already given by God's grace without any merit on, on anyone's part other than to simply believe by faith, accept the promises that God gave by his grace. And so the tithe was not to try to force God's hand to, to bless him, but rather it was to acknowledge. It was uh, an expression of appreciation for the, for the blessings of God. And also it was to acknowledge, notice how he phrased it, that all that you give me, I'll give you a tenth. So that the tithe was an acknowledgement that everything that Jacob received was from the hand of God, and he didn't own anything. But as an expression of that, he was going to give back that tenth of everything that God had given him. And our tithe and offering today is the same. The, there's always the argument uh, in this church age, is the tithe required? That was under the law. Uh, and certainly under the law of Moses, it was a requirement. But here we see this is before the law was even given. And it was a legitimate expression. And in the New Testament, we, we know that it is clearly God's will. We won't do a whole study on this, but, but again, just this is part of the lessons that we can learn from this, is in the New Testament, what God requires of the believer is generous giving. And so it's a little hard for, for me to reject tithing that was required under the law and to say that I'm a generous giver if I, if I don't even do what was required under the law. And so, again, it's, it's not a matter of condemnation, or if I don't do that, you know, God's not going to bless me. Those that are, that are faithful to give their tithe a tenth of their income, and even over and above that, offerings that go beyond that, it's because they have a heart that appreciates the Word of God, appreciates what God has done for them by his grace that we did not deserve, and to understand that God is the one who gives us everything that we have anyway, and he's the one who's promised to take care of us. 
And so the tithe and offering is not something that we should feel to be an obligation, but yet it should be considered as a privilege to be a part of God's eternal work of grace that he's doing. And to me, life passes so quickly. And really, the only thing that's going to have any eternal value is that which we do for his glory in this short life. And so the thing that's going to have a lasting impact on individuals' lives is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so because we love God, because we love the work of grace that he's done in us, that he saved us, and that he provides for us, that he protects us, he leads us, he guides us, and to know that we have the privilege to be a worker together with God by supporting the proclamation of the word of God. That is something that a heart that understands that. You know, if if you have to, um, and so many churches do this, they beg and plead and demand money for this thing or that thing. If you have to make people feel guilty before they give, God doesn't honor that anyway. God honors a cheerful giver, one who gives out of appreciation, out of revelation, out of acknowledgement of the grace of God, and as an acknowledgement of what God has done for you. And so, uh, to me, this little statement here in this passage is something that we can learn from. Jacob wanted to express his appreciation for the grace of God. In 2 Corinthians 9, the Apostle Paul does teach a lot on this subject. Let's just read this rather lengthy passage just so that we know that we're on church doctrinal ground here when we talk about these things and about generous giving. 2 Corinthians 9, and we'll read verses 6 through 15. 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 6. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart. So see, this is a heart matter. Not grudgingly or of necessity. No. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. So it's important to know that when we obey God's instruction here, to know that he's going to supply what we need when we need it. And I've often dealt with usually younger couples who, who are afraid because they don't know what the future holds. When you honor God, he will honor you. And I've lived that by experience. I've known the anxiety, but I've also known the faithfulness of God when I've learned to trust him. In verse 8, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. What you need to do to do the will of God, he will supply. As it is written, he has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. It's an eternal work, an eternal investment when we give to the work of the Lord. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food Supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything for all liberality 
which causes thanksgiving through us to God. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, Paul is taking up an offering here, and so he's saying this service, this offering that is being given, uh, the Corinthians had promised to give it, and then they kind of backed off of it. So Paul's reminding them of what they intended to do, and that if their heart is right, they should follow through. And supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgiving to God. While through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men. And by their prayer for you, who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And when Paul ends with that, he's reminding us that's the attitude, that's the thing that we need to remember. God gave us his son. He gave us his best. And so how can and he gives us all that we have. And so how can we murmur and complain as some do? There are so many examples of those who are cheerful givers. But many of God's people murmur and complain. But how how can we do that? God supplies what we need, and we can honor him and acknowledge that and express our appreciation by our tithe and our offering, just as Jacob did. Now let's go back to Genesis 29, or go back to Genesis in chapter 29. We'll begin at verse 1. Again, we'll read a lengthy passage here, but this is a Bible study, and so we'll, we'll study the Bible here. Genesis 29, verses 1 through 14. Most of us here are familiar with uh, these stories, these Old Testament stories. Many of us learned them in Sunday school as kids. But it's always good to go back and read the details so that we can allow the Holy Spirit to, to show us something new and afresh that applies to us today. If we ever allow the Word of God to become stale in our hearts, in our minds, uh, then again, we're in trouble. But this Word, this Bible is living it's powerful, uh, but we have to take it in. And so let's read verses 1 through 14 of Genesis 29, where Jacob meets his future wife, Rachel. So Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. And he looked and saw a well in the field, and behold, there were three flocks of sheep lying by it. For out of that well they watered the flocks. A large stone was on the well's mouth. Now all the flocks would be gathered there, and they would roll the stone from the well's mouth, water the sheep, and put the stone back in its place on the well's mouth. And Jacob said to them, My brethren, where are you from? And they said, We are from Haran. Then he said to them, Do you know Laban the son of Nahor? And they said, We know him. So he said to them, Is he well? And they said, He is well. And look, his daughter Rachel is coming with the sheep. Then he said, Look, it is still high day. It is not time for the cattle to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go and feed them. But they said, We cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and they have rolled the stone from the well's mouth. Then we water the sheep. Now while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. And it came to pass when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, 
that Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's relative and that he was Rebekah's son. So she ran and told her father. Then it came to pass when Laban heard the report about Jacob, his sister's son, that he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. And so he told Laban all of these things, all that God had done to lead him on this long journey to meet his family. In verse 14, And Laban said to him, Surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him for a month. So God was showing himself faithful to Jacob. Remember, he had to leave his home after he had deceived his father about who he was and how he received the the blessing of the, the firstborn. So he had to leave. And on top of that, his mother and father did not want him to take a wife from the, from the Canaanites. And so he was to go to Laban's household and there find a wife for himself because that godly line needed to continue that would ultimately bring in the Savior of the world. And so all of this was going on, and in that process, this is when Jacob had that vision, and God said, I will protect you. I will bless you. I will do everything that's necessary to bring you back to your family. And so the fact that that God led Jacob directly to Laban's family and specifically to Rachel, all of that was not happenstance. That was God ordering his steps. Laban didn't have GPS. He didn't have Twitter. He didn't have Google to look up where his family was. The Lord led him directly to be where he needed to be at the right time. And how many times has God done that for us in in our experience where without us actually planning, God put us at the right place with the right people at the right time. And this is this is the joy of faith. Yes, there's a lot of unknowns when you live by faith. There's a lot of unknowns when you don't live by faith. But our joy and our peace come from knowing one certain thing. God knows the end from the beginning. He has a plan and a purpose, and when we look to him in faith, he's going to work everything out. He orders our steps. And this is why it's so important for us to daily depend on him and, and for our jobs, our, our schoolwork, for every aspect of our life, no matter what stage of life we're in. Yes, there's always the fear of the unknown. There's always that anxiety. But that's when we have to, by faith, cast those anxieties on the Lord and, and ask him for wisdom. It's not a I don't care attitude. Some people think faith is just being naive and not understanding all the problems that are out there. No, that's, that's not faith. Faith understands the reality of Satan's traps, the hardships of life, the difficulties that are there. Faith does not ignore those. But faith takes God at his word, that he said he would order our steps. And so we ask him for wisdom for that next step. You know, we, we don't know a week ahead of time, a year ahead of time, five years, whatever. Lord, what is it you want me to do today? What's the decision I need to make today? Give, give me direction for today. And then faith 
when we do everything that's in our power and responsibility to do, because, again, faith is not being irresponsible. It's not being naive. But when we've done everything that we know to do in the will of God, that's when we have to leave everything else with God to know that he has a plan and that nobody and nothing can interfere with what God has planned for us. That's our peace. Our peace is not knowing all the details ahead of us, but knowing he has a plan. Jacob didn't know he was going to run right into his wife just right off the beginning, but God did. God made a promise, and he honored it. When we put God first in our life, that's what it boils down to. Who is your priority? Who's first in your life? Who is it that you want to please above everything else? For too many Christians, the first one, I want to please me. I want to do what I want to do. I want things to be like I want them to be. But no, we've got to put self. What was it John the Baptist said? I must decrease and he must increase. So what does he want of my life? Not what I want, but what does he want? And then anybody else that's in that line, who who am I trying to please? Who, Who am I trying to impress? The only one that I want to please is God. And when I do that, then all my other relationships will be what they need to be when I put him first. So may we put him first and know that God will order our steps. Let's read that in Psalm 37 so you know that I'm not just making that up. Psalm 37, verses 23 to 28. Psalm 37, verse 23. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. So we don't need to be discouraged when things, even when we fail. Though he fall, he shall not utterly be cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. David says, I've been young and now I'm old, yet I've not seen the righteous forsaken nor his descendants begging bread. And I can make that same statement. I was young, and now I'm old, but I've never seen the Lord fail me, not once. There's been a lot of questions. There's been a lot of things that I didn't know what tomorrow was going to bring. And in my early days, I lived from paycheck to paycheck, like most people start out at least. But I've never seen the Lord leave me hanging. Verse 26, he is ever merciful and lends. And his, des- his descendants are blessed. Depart from evil and do good. That's our part. And dwell forevermore. For the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever. But the descendants of the wicked shall be cut off. We are a blessed people, aren't we? He will take care of us. That includes any, anything that would cause you to fear, whether it's on a, a worldwide scale. You look around and you look at the news Headlines and things are scary, but my father hasn't changed his promises. None of those things impact God's promises to me. They didn't to Jacob. They didn't to Isaac. They didn't to Abraham, and they won't to you, but we have to trust him. That's where our peace and our joy is going to come from. In the will of God, there is suffering. There are hardships, as we're going to see with Jacob. Life of faith does not mean that you're going to be immune to problems. Not at all. But suffering in the will of God is never in vain. It has eternal dividends when we suffer in the will of God. It always has a purpose, our suffering. You see it all through the Old Testament. When we get to Joseph's life, it it just stands out. You see it everywhere. But suffering in the will of God always has a purpose. 
And it, we don't always see it in this life, but it's part of God's eternal work that he's doing in our life. We know that all things, so easy to quote, isn't it? But each of us have our own experiences and tragedies in life. And whatever your worst moment in life is up to this point, some of you may have not yet experienced your worst experience in life. But whatever your worst experience is in life, I want you to apply this verse. That was working. And if you're still in the midst of it, this is working for my eternal good. All things. To the point that we can experience that the will of God is good, that it's perfect, and that it's pleasing. Everything that we need is found in the will of God. Everything for time and for eternity. We can learn specifically in this area where this the main purpose of this mission of Jacob was to find a wife. And so I often counsel young people, and sometimes they get discouraged. God can supply the right partner for you. He knows already who that is. You don't. But look to the Lord for that, to supply that need. That's a major need in life. Look to the Lord to supply all of, the, all of our needs, but that's a pretty big one. And so we don't leave it up to chance or romance. We want the Lord to lead us to the right person at the right time. And that's exactly what happened in Jacob's life. He could have taken the easy route and saved time and money and energy and not made that long trip. And he could have just married a Canaanite woman. And he would have suffered more than he's going to suffer in the will of God. There's loss in that. There's a cost when we disobey God's instruction. So in all of our decisions, whether it's looking for a mate, where to go to school, where to go to work, all of those important, necessary decisions. Again, we're not talking about being irresponsible in making those decisions. But by faith, make it a matter of seeking the Lord, trusting him to order your steps. And when there appears to be failure, when there appears to be, oh, I stumbled here, remember the promise. He's ordering your steps, and even when you stumble, he's not going to leave you on the ground. When it, our heart is to please him, he'll pick you up. You, you can't buy that kind of confidence anywhere else. You can't find it in a self-help book. You can only find it in the will of God. Well, let's close with Proverbs chapter 3, and verses 5 to 10, another familiar passage, but one that we need to take to heart, put into action. Proverbs chapter 3 and verses 5 to 10. Again, these aren't just so many words. They're familiar to probably most of us, but understand this is your heavenly father speaking to you through his word. And he says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. We can't reserve anything for ourselves. That sounds like the best way to get ahead, doesn't it? Take care of number one. That's the word, what the world tells you. But to take care of number one, to have that attitude is the best way to lose everything you got. Because you're not smart enough. I'm not smart enough to direct my own life. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, not just your church-going ways, but your family, your job, school. In all of your ways, acknowledge him. And he shall direct your paths. It's a promise. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. That's the part that belongs to us. Desire to live a life that's characterized by godliness, which again, the only way you can do that is by his grace, 
but but apply that grace to your life. Let it teach you to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. It's the best kind of life to live. Honor the Lord with your possessions. There's that tithe and offering again. And with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. He'll give you what you need when you need it. Well, let's close there this evening. Let's stand and we'll be dismissed.